we've been talking about for four weeks, what are the more acceptable sins? Now, not acceptable to God, because if you've been in church any amount of time, you know that any sin is sin to God. Any sin disqualifies you from going to heaven. One sin in any category disqualifies you from going to heaven. But, but it seems like in our society, there are some sins that are acceptable, that everyone does them, so we just accept them. And for example, the first week we looked at lying. Lying is everywhere, and it seems all right if it gets you out of trouble or if it, if it doesn't hurt someone else's feelings. It seems all right until you open up the Word of God, and the Word of God says that God detests lying, and that word detest means it makes him want to vomit. Why would God react so strongly to lying? Well, because, number one, it hurts his children. If somebody says something hurtful about your children, you're going to fire up real quickly, right? Well, God does too. But the other thing Jesus said is it, it identifies us with the father of lies who is the devil, who is the enemy of God from the pit of hell. It glorifies him, magnifies him, when, especially when Christians lie. And Jesus said, don't identify with the, with the father of lies. Identify with the father of truth. Week two, we looked at gossip. And I told you, you know, I just threw it out there. I think this gossip is the number one sin that has existed in New Life Community Church from the first day until now. And we said that, that, everything, that needs to, everything that's said needs to be true, but not everything that's true needs to be said. And if you don't have permission, explicit permission from that person, even if you're going to call it a prayer concern, you don't have the right. It is gossip, and you have, you've gone over into the things that God hates. There's seven things that God hates. Gossip is on that list. And, and just by the way, it made me think about this. John Colander's back in the hospital. Um, he had a setback, and he said at the end of his text to me today, he said, please share this. Feel free to share this. So I have his permission. I'm not gossiping today when I tell you that he's back in the hospital. They had to redo the procedure. They had to put the drain tube back in, and he said, this is a setback. But here's what he said, word, almost word for word. He said, I'm grateful to have, he was talking to the band, he said, a loving group of friends and a loving church that's going to help me get through this. He said, I feel like I'm the luckiest man in the world. Um, I kind of get you in the feels. Week three, we said uh, lust is, is what, what people don't seem to think is a big deal. So Jesus says to Jewish people, to people who knew the Ten Commandments backwards and forwards, he said, hey, you've heard of the, the law, the Seventh Commandment, which says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And, and, and all of them are like, mm, we have not done that one. And he goes, bad news. If you've even looked lustfully men at a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And he's not saying that it's the same thing, but he's saying that, that the root cause, the heart issue, is what separates you from God. And if you think about it long enough, you're going to do it. And so we said that the, the act of sexual immorality begins in the mind long before it ever ends up in the body. Um, your, your heart, your body will follow your feelings. Wherever you give your heart, your body's going to follow. So we've got to stay away from that. Now, today we're going to discuss a topic that I, that I, it's just kind of a throw-on topic that I know no one in this room and no one who's watching online New Life Community Church ever has any issues with, and that's anger, right? Not, no fully devoted follower of Christ, no new lifer has ever struggled with anger, have they? Have any of you done it in the last 24 hours? Yeah, Janie's laughing. Yeah, she just turned her head like, yeah, I have struggled with anger in the last 24 hours. Now, here's what you need to know. Is, uh, Casey actually talked about this a year ago. I was looking through stuff and, and found out his sermon from last May, and he was talking about it. If you hadn't heard it, you need to go hear that message. Anger is a secondary emotion. I want to uh, 
So I was looking through trying to figure out a way to illustrate this, and, and there's a bunch of icebergs, right? And so it says that, that anger is the tip of the iceberg, and all this stuff is underneath the iceberg. But I thought, iceberg doesn't do justice to anger, right? So I found a picture of the anger volcano, and here's the anger volcano. Now, this is actually pretty cool, right? Anger is a secondary issue, so there's something underneath that has triggered your anger. Now, look at this. Over here, it says anger is neither a positive or a negative emotion. However, it can be an uncomfortable emotion. It can be used positively. It can be used negatively. On this side, it says, like lava from a volcano that builds the island, anger has a purpose. Anger indicates something is wrong, and something can be built out of anger. Now, here are the, here are the primary emotions that trigger anger. <clears throat> Helplessness, fear, embarrassed, envy, rejection, guilt, disappointment, jealousy, frustration, uh, unsure of yourself, shame, hurt, overwhelmed, or injustice. There are some legitimate things that, that we should get angry about. And so what we're going to talk about today is the proper way to handle anger. Now, before we do that, we've been praying a prayer that comes from Psalm 139. Um, it's verses 23 and 24, and I've highlighted something each week. You're going to have to kill the, the background there. There you go. So I've highlighted something each week. Let me read it for you and tell you why I highlighted this, and then we're going to pray it out loud together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Here's why I highlighted this next phrase. Point out anything in me that offends you. How ironic that we're going to pray a prayer to God to point out anything in, in us that offends him when we're talking about all kinds of stuff that offends us, Right? When we're angry, we've been offended. We're going to pray this prayer. God, I don't want to look at others today. I want you to point the spotlight of your glory and your grace on me and help me understand my anger. And then the last line says, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So let's pray this out loud together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, like I said, anger can lead to a good result. It can lead to a bad result. According to the Bible, there's two kinds of anger. The first one is called sanctified anger. That's righteous anger. That is anger that reflects the heart of God. And then you already know, I think you're well acquainted with sinful anger. Anybody acquainted with sinful anger? Right, we show it much more often. Feeling anger isn't the problem. It's the way we respond to anger that gets us into trouble. Here's what Paul said, the Apostle Paul said to the church at Ephesus. In your anger, do not sin. He knew we were going to get angry. He said there are some things we should get angry about, but when you're angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Y'all did that, didn't you? Some of you did it yesterday. Some of you still ticked off at your spouse. You just pretended to be righteous, right? Okay, don't, you don't have to testify. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a, what is that word? Foothold. Now, Jesus got angry, but he never responded with sinful anger. He only responded with sanctified anger. Two different times he cleaned out the temple. He said, you're, you're making my father's house a robber's den when it should be a house of prayer for all nations. And, and he didn't explode. There was no anger volcano with Jesus. He thought about it. He went back. It was a very measured response. I will not allow you to do those things in my father's house. That's how he responded, sanctified anger. However, I think that's not what you and I usually do. The word foothold is actually the Greek word topos, which means opportunity, location, or room. Quite literally, it means don't be so foolish to give the enemy of God a room in your house or in your heart from which he can, he can impact you. 
it, uh, when, when we were doing the, the men did the uh, uh, spiritual warfare study by Carl Payne. He calls it a place, a space, or a territory that you willingly give to the enemy of God so that he can just lead you wherever he wants to go. It's dumb. It's foolish. He said, don't let him have access into your life. Don't give him a room and say, hey, just influence me. Just help me make wrong choices all day long, enemy of God. Because if you do, sin is going to win. The very first time we see sinful anger in the scripture, Genesis 4. We don't even make it four four chapters into the first book of the Bible till we, till we see sinful anger. Um, and and it, was, it was the story of, of Adam and Eve's first two children, um, Cain and Abel. The sons, Cain and Abel, go to make an offering to God. Now, this was long before the law ever came up. They're offering something. So evidently, God had taught Adam and Eve that part of worship is bringing something that you have to say to God, I'm depending on you, I'm trusting you. And we know that Abel's sacrifice that he brought to God was acceptable. We don't know why. Other than it says he brought some of the first fruits, which is, which is later becomes part of the law. Bring the first part of your offering, the first part of your, your um, harvest. And then it says that Cain just brought some of his, his uh, harvest. And so we know that, that God rejected Cain's sacrifice. He accepted Abel's. We don't know why. But I can tell you this. It wasn't the offering that caused Cain to be rejected. It was Cain that caused Cain to be rejected because his heart was not right with God. Because the Bible says over and over, if you aren't, if you aren't giving with the right attitude, you don't get credit before God. His heart was not right with God, so he brought the wrong, he brought the wrong sacrifice. So here's what it says in, in Genesis chapter 4. Because God rejected him, so Cain was what? How angry? Very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Here's what God says. If, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? God is telling him right here, you have a choice with what to do with your anger right at this moment. It doesn't have to control you. You can control it. You can choose to do what's right. You can choose to do what's wrong. If you do what's right, God said, I will accept you. Look what he says if you do what's wrong. If you do what is, um, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, which means it desires to eat you alive. But you must rule over it. If you don't bring your anger to God, sin is crouching at the door, and worse, sin is taking root in your heart. And it's, it's like this. It, you know, we talked about the, the fishing lures last week, and there's only one of them. I got my little jig here. And how what happens is you, you tempt that, that fish, with the lure, and then you set the hook, and you can drag that fish wherever you want to. That fish is not willingly going to jump in your boat, unless it's one of those carp that, that react to the, to the motor, you know. When you're, anyway, those are weird fish. Most fish not going to willingly jump in your boat. Here's what happens when you allow anger to take a root in your heart. In Old Testament times, when you were conquered by the enemy, they would put a hook in your nose and pull you by a chain because wherever your head goes, wherever your nose goes, that's where you're going. And when you allow Satan to have a room in your heart, it is as if you hooked on your nose, gave him the chain and say, Satan, have your way with me and he will take you where you do not want to go. So we've got to figure this out. Now, I'm just curious. We're going to talk about spewers, how people handle their, their anger, the spew. And we're going to talk about stewers, people who just stew on things and don't ever tell you about their anger. So we're just going to do a quick little survey. How many of you in this room are spewers? Okay, I think there's more than that. So if you're sitting next to someone that you know is a spewer, just reach over like you're going to grab their hand to hold it and, and raise it up high so that they'll have something to spew at you afterwards. I want you to film it because we're going to have it on, on the screen next week. No, not really. 
right? The, the, the spewers, if you raise their hand, don't you raise my hand, right? They're going to immediately tell you what they're thinking. Now, how many of you are stewards? You stuff it in. You don't want people to know that you're angry. Let me see your hand. All right, you know that this, the spewers are going to raise your hand if you're, if you're a steward and you're not raising your hand because they, they want everybody to know. It's not just me. Look what Scripture says in Proverbs 28, 23, 18, and this is important. It says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses. This slapped me in the face about two or three weeks ago. This is my memory verse at the top of my list right now. Whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Because I know a lot of people say, yeah, I'm a spewer and get over it. If you don't like it, take a hike. Yeah, you're confessing that you're a spewer, but you're not renouncing that sin. Pride goes before the fall. God opposes the proud. You will not find mercy from God if you're one of those people. Yeah, if you don't like it, yeah. It's going to get worse in a minute, so that, that's the best I got right there. Your kids know which one you are. If your kids have ever said, look out, mama's going to blow, right? Okay, here's your sign. You are a spewer. If everybody else knows it and you don't know it, you're a spewer, and you need to confess that and renounce it if you want to have mercy from God. Be very careful with your attitude about your attitude when it comes to anger because the word of God is not going to play nice. Look what it says in Proverbs 29, 11. Fools give full vent to their rage. If you've ever given full vent to your rage, what does the Bible call you? How many of you want to be a fool? Yeah, that's me! No. So you better stop. But the wise bring calm in the end. Wise people are calm. Look at Ecclesiastes 9, 18, another of my memory verses. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner, one hot-headed fool who vents their rage, destroys much good. When you're in mid-spew, when your volcano is erupting, does everyone say, my, what wise words are coming from your mouth? That is not what they're saying, right? How many of you can guess whether I'm a spewer or a stewer? Y'all got jokes this morning. I'm a spewer. If, if you know Janie, which one is Janie? Spewers and stewers, they get married. And man, don't we have a really fun time sometimes, right? When we first moved to Palestine, um, Janie and I were flat broke. As youth minister, and we were, we were so broke, we didn't, people would ask us to go out to eat. We couldn't go out to eat. They'd ask us, you want to go to the movies? They're like, man, we don't have money to go to the movies. They said, what do you do? On weeknights, and, and all we had at that time was Caleb, and so we played with Caleb. He was our entertainment. We couldn't afford cable TV. We couldn't even afford the antenna to get the, the two Tyler stations, and if you turned it right, to get the Waco station. That came later because someone felt sorry for us and gave us their old antenna. And I stuck that thing up, and I used to go up on the roof to try to get Waco. And, and my, my stu, uh, steward wife, who doesn't speak very loudly, she's going, and I'm going, What? And she comes to the window, and I can't hear you. The whole neighborhood hears me say, I can't hear you. And, and Janie's I'm trying to turn that thing. All we did was play with Caleb and video Caleb. Rachel comes along. All we did was play with Caleb and Rachel video them. When Hannah comes along, all we, we didn't have money, right? 
So because we didn't have money, I didn't have any commercial mowing equipment. All I had was my dad, I'm not making this up, when dad died, there were about 100 used mowers stacked around his property. He actually had to buy the next door lot, build a privacy fence so that my mom wouldn't divorce him. I am not making this up because there was so much junk in my dad's backyard. Dad fixed up mowers, and he, so probably the first four or five mowers that I owned, my daddy fixed up. One of them, we were coming back from Christmas, and it was this big orange monstrosity, and we had a van, and it was on top of the van. And I'm like, man, I better not cut anybody off because it's going to be so easy to find, right? There's the idiot who cut me off. He's got an orange mower on the top of that van. Who else would do that, right? So I have this mower that dad had given me, and I've worn it out, right? My, my yard is about... 8.89 acres, and I was push mowing my yard, and, and, and I don't believe in doing many things slowly, and so my dad used to sit in the, in the, in the house and say to Janie, that boy is running behind that mower, and I'd come in, and he'd say, boy, they, they ain't made for a sprint, and I'm like, well, then they need to make them better, because I don't have time to go slow mowing a lawn. My commercial mower now goes 13 miles per hour, and I'll try to mow at that speed if I can. The, there are times, though, that I hit a, hit a bump, and I almost, it's like a bucking bronco. I get off of that thing, and I'm like, maybe I should slow down. But anyway, I'm pushing fast, and I eventually wear this mower out. This mower was so bad by this point, I'm not making this up, that it would take me 10 or 15 times to pull it. Now, at that time, I didn't know how to fix a mower. I just knew that if I pulled hard, eventually, and it would, it would jump to life with a puff of smoke so that I could mow and fog mosquitoes at the same time. It was, that's actually a very helpful feature. And so I would pull it, but I'm not making this up. It would only run about 30 seconds before it stops. You try to mow 0.89 acres with your mower only running every 30 seconds. I don't care how fast you are. It's going to take forever. I was getting really frustrated. Every time it would die, I would have to go 10 or 12 more pulls. And I think, I'm probably exaggerating, but I think it was about my 30th time to pull 10 or 12 times. So over 300 times I've pulled this mower and I lost it. So I grabbed the mower and, and I started spinning. You know, like the, like the hammer throwers in the Olympics? I started spinning with that mower. And when I thought as I, was go- I was spinning as fast as I could, I launched that mower. And the sense of joy that entered my heart as that mower tumbled towards the road. And I was like, well, what am I going to do now? But man, that felt good. And then, you know, when someone's watching you and you don't realize someone's watching you? I look over, there's Janie, and Caleb is about Waylon's age. And I'm like, y'all see that? <laughs> now, Janie's a stewer, right? She stuffs things. She doesn't want you to know. I think, I'm not sure, I think I saw one eyebrow go up. And she grabs little Caleb's hand and says, I think Daddy needs some privacy. And she goes back in the house, right? And, and, of course, I felt horrible about that. I mean, I just lost my ever-loving mind. But I showed that mower who was boss. Here's the problem. I don't tell you that to glorify my stupidity. I tell you that to, sh- to, to say we're stupid when we're angry. And here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 14, 17. A quick-tempered person does what? And y'all ever done foolish things when you're mad? We have to confess that and renounce it if we're going to find mercy from God. 
Now, as a spewer, I totally understand this. I totally understand you get it out there and you feel better. But my question is, does anybody else feel better after your volcano erupts? No one does. And, and if you've ever been with us on a mission trip, we, we sing the Fruit of the Spirit song. The Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And the last one is self-control. Hmm. Spewing is not self-control. Volcano erupting, that's not self-control. So if it's not from the Holy Spirit, it has to be from the unholy spirit. And whenever you erupt and, and you, you cause devastation to the people you're supposed to love, you're an agent of the unholy spirit. Now, I can't claim to be like Jesus if I'm blowing my top and making people run for the hills. And you can't either. Now, those of you who are stewards, I think you're feeling just a little bit self-righteous right now. So I'm going to try to drive that far from you. If, if spewers express their anger, what do stewers do? Stewers suppress their anger. Um, and while, while stewers seem to be doing okay, is that the truth? No. The Bible paints a very b different picture. Here's what, here's what David said when he kept something inside. Psalm 32, 3, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Let me give you a nugget of truth today about stewards. Stewards have knockdown, drag-out fights just like spewers do, only, only it's in their heads. They do all these what-ifs, and I'm going to say this, and what if, and right? And if the person with whom the steward is having the imaginary argument walks into the room and feels the heat, or they may not feel the heat, they may feel the cold, and if, this, if the spewer says to the steward, what's wrong? What is the one-word answer you always get from a steward? Nothing. Now, those of us who are spewers, we're like, okay, obviously that's not right. But when you get ready to tell me, you go ahead, you tell me. I'm just going to act like nothing's wrong because you said there's nothing wrong. That does not work. Let me tell you, that is not a, not a good way to handle that. Um. Stewards hold the other person responsible for what they did, and sometimes before they hold them responsible for what they imagine they're going to do. <laughs> There's nothing fair about that. <laughs> just, just free advice today. A spewer cannot read your mind, doesn't even want to. So you got to tell them what's going on. Most of y'all have heard the story of the prodigal son, right? He demands his inheritance. He runs away. He wastes all his money on crazy living. When all the money is gone and all the friends who were there only because of the money are gone and he wakes up in a pig pen and he's jealous of the pig's food, the Bible says he came to his senses. And he thought, I'll go back and ask my father to be a servant in his house because the servants in my father's house are living better than me. So the father in the story represents God, and the father's watching for him to come back. And when the bad son's coming back, he runs out, hugs him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, throws this awesome party to celebrate that his son was dead, and now he's alive. It's a great story of God's love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And today, I don't want to focus on any of those characters. I want to focus on the older brother in the story because he's the one who stayed home. 
Now, in his own mind, he's the good brother. The bad brother went away. The bad brother said, give me, give me the money. The bad brother said, Dad, you, you just won't die. Hurry up and die. But since you won't die, give me my inheritance, right? And he runs away. But, but the good brother, the good in his own mind brother, he stays and he does what he's supposed to do. He's the one who picked up the slack when the bad brother went away. He's the one that, that did everything his father wanted him to do. He's the good brother in his own mind. And he has a very different reaction when his bad brother comes home. Different reaction than the, than the father. And quite frankly, here's part of the reason. Part of the reason is the good brother in his own mind is irritated with God the Father for not seeing how good he's been. He's tired of being good. I'm tired of not getting any recognition. Why should I be good if you're only going to give good things to the bad brother? This is what the supposedly good brother says. Look, what, look how he reacts. When the, when the father throws the party... I'm going to call him the bad, the, I'm going to call him the, uh, the angry brother, the bad brother, because he's, he's not, not really good. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. The sorry brother comes home, and the secretly superior brother says, I deserve the party. So I'm going to get angry, and I'm not going to go to the party, and I'll show my father, I'll show my sorry brother. I'll stand out here and pout, and that'll show him that I'm superior in my own mind. Two things are going to happen to this supposedly superior brother. Number one, his insides will be eaten alive. His heart will become hardened because he's focused on the wrong thing. He's focused on what the father, the loving, merciful father is giving the sorry brother instead of focusing on the grace and the mercy of the loving father. I deserve what my heavenly Father is giving to someone else. This is, this is what happens to people who are supposedly superior. And, and, and I'm going to tell you something. I've been a minister 37 years now. Number one problem I see with people who've been Christians for a long time, they become supposedly superior to lost people. You're not in the Father's eyes. You're saved and you should act one way. And we should celebrate. Because the Bible says every time one lost sinner comes to Christ, you know what the angels do in heaven? Party. Because another one's come home. And if you've been a Christian a long time and you're irritated that God gives grace to someone who's far from God, your heart is jacked up. And sin is crouching at your door. And it wants to eat you alive. So the first thing that's going to happen to this supposedly superior brother is he's going to be eaten up. And if, then the second thing is it's eventually going to come out because you can't keep it in. First it's going to hurt him, and then it's going to hurt everyone around him. This is the way the enemy works. Now I want you to know that spewers and stewers are both wrong. Neither one of them respond like Jesus does. In the Bible, 15 different times, anger is compared to fire. Now, fire in the right place is great. Fire can purify water. It can cook food. It can warm us when it's cold. But fire in the wrong place is deadly. It destroys. And anger is like that. It can bring about good or it can destroy everything. So what should we do with our anger? Well, there's two things. If it's sinful anger, you need to put that out any way you can. It's outside of the boundaries. It will destroy. The Bible says... The Bible says that God is a consuming fire, not you. Your name is not in there. You don't get to consume others with your anger. Your heavenly Father will do that. He says, vengeance is his. 
Proverbs 17, 14 says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Y'all ever seen a water dam fail? What happens to everything in its path? Wiped out. Jesus died for your sins to change your heart so you don't get to use the excuse, excuse, I can't control it. Yes, you can. Here's how I know. You ever been in a huge fight? And someone you love, maybe your boss or, or maybe, maybe the police show up, and you're hot, man. You got veins popping out. You're spewing. And the policeman comes walking in. What do you do? Hello, officer. No, there's no problem. We're having a discussion. Doesn't look like a discussion. Oh, yes, sir, I promise. I'm under control. Policeman goes off, per- person you respect. Or if they call you on the phone. If you, I've... I've actually seen it on TV. I think I've seen it in some of my relatives, not my immediate family. Fight, 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 phone rings, hello? Hang up, pick right back where you were. Pick up where you left off. You can control your anger. Here's the thing. The expression of anger is a learned behavior. You've learned what people will let you get away with. And you'll continue to do that. So we've got to put this out. There's a story. I want to read you this story because this just put it in perspective for me. One Sunday morning on a subway in New York, people were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. Some of y'all can feel your blood pressure rising, can't you? The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. That's where I cross the line, you grab my paper. It was very disturbing, and yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it. Taking no responsibility at all, it was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir... Your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his eyes as if, lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I probably should do something. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Now, those of you who are passing judgment, by the end of the story, are you still passing judgment? The point is, we need to listen to people's stories before we judge them. What if instead of bringing fire and volcanic eruptions, we were known as people who listen? Here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone. What was that word? Is that you? Is that me? Everyone. We, we did a whole series on this. Me and my big mouth. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Seven different books of the Bible. And there's some of you that are, that are OCD and you're going to want to know what they are. So I'm going to tell you. Seven different books of the Bible say that God is slow to anger. I'll just tell you. Exodus, Numbers, Nehemiah, Psalms, several times in Psalms, Joel, Jonah, Nahum. God is slow to anger. And if you're really OCD and you want the, I, I've got the references here. You can go look it up. 
See, I, I like to do stuff. I'm a doer. I like to, I like to get stuff done. And, and if my to-do list is too long, does, does anybody in this room think that I'm fun to be around if my to-do list is too long? Oh, no. In fact, my children have called, have, have a name for me when I'm on vacation. It's Vacation Dad. Yeah, Hannah's agreeing. That's enough. They, they say, Vacation Dad is very different from working dad because I just want to have fun on vacation, right? Janie will tell you the same thing. We've got to be careful that because I'm a doer, that my to-do list doesn't get more important than the people in my life. It's not a con- I don't have a switch where I go, oh, I'm going to put all of these things above my family, but without meaning to, I sometimes do that. And they notice. And then when I get angry at them, the Heavenly Father just shakes his head and says, that's not who I created you to be. So if it's sinful anger, you've got to put it out any way possible. Sanctified anger. If it's sanctified anger, you need to fan that into flame. It needs to be flying. That's the next one, bud. Sanctified anger, fan the flame. God created you with a passion for something. There is something that should make you angry. You should look out and see injustice, and you should become angry. There are things that move you. Part of the reason we started New Life Community Church is because I said, I want a church where people who are far from God can come learn about God. And every church I'd been in up to this point did not welcome people who were far from God. They were the supposedly superior Christians who didn't want those people. And I've had people describe folks as those people. I don't want to hear it. This church is for those people. If you don't like those people, get out. Because we're not changing. And there's plenty of them just down the road. If you want to dress a certain way, you want to talk a certain way, that's fine. We'll see you in heaven. We're going to be the church that reaches out to people who are far from God. Gets me fired up. Jesus was in church on a Sabbath. And um, there was a man in church that had a withered hand, and we're not sure why he's there. It may, he may have been planted by the Pharisees because we do know that the Pharisees were watching to see how Jesus was going to handle things on the Sabbath because their law, not God's law, their law said it is illegal. It is against God's law to heal someone. That's work, and you can't work on the Sabbath. Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? They remained silent. Why? Because they were busted. He looked at them in anger. Jesus got angry and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to, them, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Now, I want you to notice what unresolved anger, being supposedly superior, does to you. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus because he healed someone on the Sabbath. Come on. Jesus looked at the man who needed healing. He did what was right regardless of the consequences. And the kingdom of God needs people who will do that today. Righteous anger always causes you to do things that benefit others. If your anger causes you to burn things down, it is not of God. It's of the unholy spirit. Righteous anger always causes us to do something that will benefit someone else. Here's what God told Micah, the the prophet Micah in the Old Testament. He has shown you, O mortal. I love when he says, O mortal, because that's like, dude, you're not going to live forever. 
And God has shown you mortals, me, mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? And then he tells us, act justly. That means we should love justice and we should look for justice. Second thing, love mercy. People in this town should know New Life Community Church as a place that dispenses mercy liberally. You need mercy? Oh, go to New Life. You need groceries? Go to New Life. You need your yard mowed? Go to New Life. To just pour mercy out. And then look at this last one, to walk humbly with your God. If your anger causes you to destroy others, that's not humbly with your God. You're striking out. Love, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. <sighs> Last thing, uh, there was this eloquent speaker back in the day who said this line. I want you to tell me who said this line. That's all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. Popeye. You've got to be a certain age to know Popeye the sailor man. He also says, I'm strong to the finish because I ate me spinach. All right, he's an eloquent speaker. But Popeye, what would happen was Popeye would just take it, take it, take it, take the injustice, take the injustice, take the injustice. Every cartoon, he takes injustice. And as a kid, I'm going, dude, do something. And eventually he would say, that's all I can stand and I can't stand some more. And he would eat his spinach and he would get strong and he would pound the injustice spewer. It was awesome. Some of you need a Popeye moment. Because quite honestly, you're not doing anything in the kingdom of God for the kingdom of God. There is something God created you, in you, that you, you, you look at society and you say, that's not right. And you do something about it for the glory of God, not for your own glory. People who go on mission trips to third world countries, sleep on floors, sweat, eat food they've never seen before. It's not for the fun. When we went to Haiti the first time, the earthquake had just devastated them. I'll never forget. I see Miss Eula sitting there. Never forget getting off the plane the first time we went to Haiti in 2010, 10 months after the earthquake devastated. There's still piles. They were telling us as we're driving along, there's still bodies under these piles. We, haven't, we don't have enough equipment to remove the bodies. I remember getting off the plane, and I remember hundreds, I don't think I'm exaggerating, hundreds of thousands of people living under tarps. We got off the plane, and, and all these people from, from New Life Community Church in East Texas, we're, we're, not, we're not the affluent people, but when we got on that bus and we started driving, about the first 30 minutes, no one said a word. Because the devastation was so unreal. We were blown away that anybody could live in conditions like that. And it changed our hearts. And we went back for, I went back eight times. No, actually, I, went, I, I made it double digits ten times before the country went, got closed down because of political unrest. We're going to have a church for people who are far from God. We're going to reach out to messy people. Marriages are falling apart. Some of them dealing with drugs and alcohol and other things. It's messy. And it's exactly where I think Jesus would want us to be. Because he hung out with sinners. Not the supposedly superior brothers and sisters in Christ. We need people at New Life who are going to say, I'm going to get angry about the right things. I don't need to be angry at my spouse. That's the wrong thing. I need to be angry at what the enemy of God 
is doing to human beings. And I will not rest. And with God's help, I will make a difference. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Help us to get angry at the right things. Help us to understand what, sin, uh, what sinful anger is and what sanctified righteous anger is. And help us to pursue righteous anger. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.